Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. Well, as Craig mentioned, we are uh, celebrating this morning, and we uh, scheduled this a while back to have a celebration Sunday to celebrate the paying off of uh, our Vision 2447 loan. But far beyond that, we have a a chance now to celebrate the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I think that's worthy of praise here this morning. (laughs) Young people, you have witnessed a historic event. Many of us who were alive when Roe v. Wade was passed never thought we would see this day come. And though it does not mean the end of all abortions, yet we also know this is a very significant moment in history. This is akin to the landing on the moon something you will remember all of your life. A very important moment in history. And like you, I've watched on TV the, you know, complaining of people who are whining about the fact that this was overturned. People actually, and what saddens my heart is young people, you know, out there in the streets complaining about the fact that They can't kill babies as easily as they used to. I've listened to the political people, the leaders, including the President of the United States, and I never heard the word baby. I never heard the word unborn. I never even heard the word fetus. Not one word about the child in the womb. I mean, what should be the focus of of abortion is the unborn children. And yet, no word about that at all. And so, though it is a great day in our country, it's also a time to realize that this is a spiritual battle. This isn't a political battle. It's the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And we are in a real spiritual battle in this country. And it's only by the grace of God, after 60 million babies have been murdered, that we still stand as a country And we need to thank God for the fact that we still exist and still have freedoms, though they're being eroded away quickly. And so we have a lot to celebrate here this morning. Now, as for us as a church, we've come here to celebrate the fact that God has enabled us to pay off this $3 million loan, which in itself is an amazing thing. On July 19, 2015, we dedicated our Vision 2447 expansion project. And if you're new to Grace, this is everything beyond that wall. I mean, we had Project Solomon, which was a rejuvenation and, and of this uh, sanctuary. And then there used to be a wall here, and you are sitting in what used to be the foyer. And then that wall came down, and we expanded the sanctuary, and then we realized we needed more room, and that was Vision 2447. And so it's based upon Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
And I'm remiss if I don't remember to uh, welcome those of you that are watching online. And I know many of you have contributed to this, and we are thankful for you as well. We chose that verse because the mission of our church is missions, namely the Great Commission. And for the past seven years, we've been able to expand our ministry through the use of these facilities, and we're very thankful for that. We have said time and time again that facilities facilitate ministry, and we've seen that worked out over the years. This morning, we're celebrating the fact that this loan has been paid in full, but we're actually celebrating the fact of God's faithfulness to us. Job 9.10 says, He does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. We recognize that God is the source but he uses people as his resource. And God has used many of you that we can come to this day and be thankful for his provision. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, we should not, by strict definition, label this as a miracle or as a miraculous event. Yet, if you look at the miracles, and I believe the miracles recorded in the Gospels and in the Bible are all true miracles. And I believe God can still do miracles today. God can do whatever he wants to. But I also know that when God providentially works, when he sovereignly works, and think about $3 million, think about that being paid off by the people in this congregation, Think about how God sovereignly worked through people and circumstances and every offering, whether large or small, and every penny that was given to accomplish this. I think that is as amazing to me as an outright miracle of God. And we can stand here this morning and say, God has truly done great things for us, and he is the God of great things. Now, the Bible records many great things that God has done through history. Now, not all the Bible is about us, but all the Bible is for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we understand when we read this passage of scripture that we are reading God's working through David and then eventually his son Solomon. So we understand that. But this is the word of God. It's timeless. And so we can look at different principles in this passage that can apply to us today as well. Now let's pick up the reading where uh, Ken left off. So pick it up in verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Therefore God blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, 
and of your own we have given you. We are aliens and pilgrims before you, as, we all are, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have offered willingly all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and before the king. Some of the principles I like to draw out of this passage is one of them is God accomplishes his work through his people. God accomplishes his work through his people. If God had wanted to, he could call down angels from heaven to do his work. If God wanted to, he didn't even have to have anybody help him do his work. He could just stay in heaven and think a thought and speak a word, and God's work would be accomplished. But God has chosen to use his people to accomplish his work. Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. King David, the great king of Israel, is coming to the end of his life. David, back in chapter 28, verse 1, he's assembled the leaders of the nation of Israel, and he has a message for them. God had chosen David's son Solomon to be the next king, chapter 28, verse 5. As David approached the end of his life, he had this desire to build the temple in Jerusalem. But God forbid David to do this, chapter 28, verses 2 and 3. God ordained that Solomon, his son, would be the one who would build the temple, chapter 28, verse 6. But God did allow David to gather together and to contribute a major portion of the materials to be used in building the temple. Look at verse 2 here in chapter 29. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might. Why did David invest in the temple? David invested in the temple because his heart was already vested in its construction. Verse 3, moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above that I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver. David never realized in his lifetime, he never got to see the completion of the temple. That was because God's purpose for David at the end of his life was not to build the temple, but to make preparations. So David committed himself wholeheartedly to the task that God had set before him. And so in Acts 13, 36, for David, after he had ser served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. I like that passage in particular, because I believe that God has a purpose for all of us if we know him as savior. And when that purpose is completed, God will call us home. And David's purpose was completed. Do you realize that there are people who have contributed to Vision 2447 
or Project Solomon or the other projects we've done. And they never lived to see the completion. God called them home to heaven. Yet God has recorded their works. And God will record the fact that they have invested in eternity. And God will bless them and reward them for their faithfulness. David's treasure went for the temple. Many of us have given out of our treasure for the work of the Lord here in this church. And I want to tell you, ours also is an eternal investment. Vision 2447 is not primarily about a building. It's about providing opportunities for ministry. You know, we don't rejoice in the building. We're thankful for the building. We're thankful that we can meet here in comfort. You know, what's beyond that wall used to be a parking lot. And I'm glad that this morning in Sunday school or in other ministries, we're not folding chairs out there, putting up folding chairs and sitting out in the sunshine and in the rain because God has helped us to help to provide for us a building to give us comfort as we worship and minister for him. Our celebration is the result of God's people who have a heart for the Lord's work. Those of you that have invested here or that give here, you have a heart for the Lord's work. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, in a sense, that passage of scripture spoken by the Lord has a dual application. The dual application is our heart follows our treasure and our treasure reveals our heart. Randy Alcorns in his book, The Treasure Principle writes, as surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. We invest in what we care about and we care about what we invest in. Another principle I see is that God's work is to be funded by God's people. God's work is to be funded by God's people. Yes, we got a loan. Our philosophy is raise as much as you can, borrow as little as you can, pay it off as soon as you can. And we've seen that principle work with vision 2447. Note that throughout this passage, the name of God is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Jehovah, it comes from Exodus 3.14, when Moses said to, the, to God, who, who should I tell the children of Israel, who should I tell them sent me? And the Lord told him, I am that I am, the self-existent one. Now, Jesus clearly identified himself with this passage of scripture and with this title. He identified himself as the Yahweh, the Jehovah of the Old Testament. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews hated him for that. They knew exactly what he was saying. This was a clear declaration of Jesus' deity, the fact that he is God, that he and the Father are one. And you will note that he didn't say I was. He said, I am. The church is the people of God in the New Testament. And David's challenge to them is appropriate for us as well. We realize David is talking to Israel of that day, but we're the people of God now in the New Testament era. And he said in verse five, who then is willing to consecrate himself to this day to the Lord, to the Lord. Literal translation is to fill our hands to the Lord. It was actually a technical phrase used to describe ordination to the priesthood. David is saying to the people, okay, this is a time to consecrate ourselves to the Lord, reconsecrate. 
And so we come here today, we're thankful for the completion of the building that we've been able to use for these years. Now we're thankful for the fact that the, the loan has been paid off, and, but it's not like we're done, okay? We, we, this is just a pause. This is just a moment to reflect because now there's more work to be done. There's more ministry to be fulfilled. And so we need to remember that. And that's what David is doing with the leaders of Israel. He's challenging them to a higher level of devotion. Yes, this is a time for us as a church to thank the Lord, but it's also a great time to rededicate ourselves. It's also a great time to refocus. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be about? How, how can I greater serve my Savior? Verses 6 and 8, Then the leaders offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. You know, in Bible times, wealth was kept in garments or, you know, property, grain, precious stones. So these people transferred wealth from their treasury to God's treasury. There are two treasuries, if you know the Lord, that you possess. One treasury is here on earth. That's what you got in your bank account. That's the material things that you have. That's your material treasury. But there's another treasury. It's the one in heaven. It's the one Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Those of you that gave to this project and gave to many other things for the Lord's work, that give to missionaries' work, and could you imagine if the Lord would pull back the veil of heaven and we all could see what treasury we have stored in heaven. Now, we did have some large gifts through this process, but most of the giving was regular giving of God's people. So God took that, no matter how big or how small, he mixed in some bigger gifts and through God's providence and his sovereignty, he worked it out to the point where not only did we pay off the loan, we actually ended up with more than we needed to pay off the loan. There are no small gifts as far as God is concerned. Randy Alcorn, because we give, eternity will be different for others and for us. Boy, I like that. Because we give, eternity will be different. You know, we're not a prosperity church. We don't give to get. But the reality is when you give to the Lord, you can change somebody's eternity. You imagine how many adults, students, children have walked through these doors, have been ministered to in that foyer, in the Sunday school rooms that have been provided. So indeed, this is a time to celebrate and rejoice in God's provision. Verse 9, the English Standard Version. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Look down over these verses and see how many times, at least in my new King James, you find the word willingly. Willingly. The people offered willingly. And they offered because it came from the heart. And I just want to commend those of you that have given from the heart. God is the one who will uh, reward you for your giving. 
And we are here today to focus on the Lord, but we recognize the Lord is the one who provided the resources that we could give willingly. And we give him all the praise. It's not, the, the emphasis here is not on the amount, but with the attitude of the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. The word purposes literally means to choose beforehand. This is not impulsive giving. Now, there's a time for impulsive giving. You hear about a need and you give towards that. But I know many of you, and I never know who gives what or when or that. I never see that. I don't ever want to see that. But I do realize that most of the giving is most likely just planned giving that people give regularly. Other times it might be God moves your heart or something special happens in your life. And there are times of spontaneous giving. Paul says, not grudgingly. That means that doesn't deal, that deals with the inward attitude. It means not with grief. I hope if you, some, you might give online or if you have an envelope and you put it in the box over there, one of these other boxes, you know, you're not weeping as you do that or kiss the envelope. Oh, goodbye. I'll never see you again. I don't think that happens. I think you give cheerfully. And then of necessity means of outward pressure. Um, you can go back and check out the sermons. None of those have any of us ever strong-armed you. None of those have we ever tried to put you on a guilt trip. Just teach the Word of God and what God says about money and what God says about giving. And we let the Lord move on your heart as he would have you give. We should give generously because God loves us generously. We can give without loving but we cannot love without giving. And many of us have learned that you can't outgive the Lord. You know, it's just amazing. You can't outgive the Lord. Now, we don't preach the prosperity gospel you give to get. And sometimes what God gives back is not just financial or material things. He blesses us in multitudinous ways, but you can't outgive the Lord. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I won't be here next Sunday because, Lord willing, I'll be preaching at my son's church. But those of you that are going to the church picnic, please check out uh, John's barn to see if he's got vats of wine in there that are overflowing. I'd just like a report on that. Just think of all the people that have been served in this church. Think of how many cups of coffee have been served in the cafe. I asked Barb this morning, how many cups of coffee have been served? And, and she said, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> nobody knows, God knows the number, but uh, you know, just an opportunity for fellowship. Another principle, God is the central focus of our work for him. <laughs> God is the central focus of our work for him. Verse 10, therefore God, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. David turned very quickly the attention of the people to the Lord. 
because David wanted to make sure that he proclaimed God's greatness. We proclaim God's greatness here today. We give him glory because he is the one who's provided these resources. When Jesus is magnified, God is glorified. Now, this is David at the end of his life. This is the great King David, and surely David had his issues. And we know the story of Bathsheba and adultery and murder, but yet David accomplished a lot for the Lord. But at the end of his life, he's not rehearsing his accomplishments. He's not rehearsing his achievements. David had no illusions about who the true king of Israel was. Verse 11, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, you are exalted as head over all. He fully understood that all he was, all he possessed, was only because of God's blessing. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. We should have no illusions about who the head of this church is. So Lord Jesus Christ, we follow his word. We follow his leading. And he is the head of this church. We as individuals, as families, as a church, have been richly blessed by God. Why be able to pay off a $7 million, I'm sorry, $3 million loan in such a short time, relatively speaking? Is it because we're God's pet people? Is it because we're more righteous than anybody else? No. We're just blessed. We're just blessed. God has blessed us. God has enabled us. We give him the praise. We praise the Lord for this physical structure, but more importantly, for the spiritual ministry that goes on here. When we're gathered in this building, my focus is not on the building. I don't walk in here and think, wow, this is fantastic, though I think it is. My focus is on the people. I love to go out in the foyer and see all the people, and I love to come to church and see you guys talking and fellowshipping. My grandfather, Pappy Metzger, he was old school German. He felt when you come to church, you ought to come in silently, you ought to sit down, you shouldn't talk to anybody. Church is over, you get up, you leave. Well, sorry, Pappy, but I don't agree with that. I love the fact that we can come in here and rejoice together. I love to come out into the foyer and jump the coffee line and, you know, torment people and annoy people all in the name of the Lord. But, um, and I know many of you do too. And it's like I don't even see the building. I see the people. That's the church. We are the church. We are the people. And we as individuals, as families, as a church, have been richly blessed by God. David said in verse 11, yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. He, he fully understood that all he was, all he possessed, was because of God's blessing. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. I thank God for the facilities that we have been given. Verse 13, now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. So we thank the Lord for the physical structure, but more importantly, we thank the Lord for the spiritual ministry. In the New Testament, we proclaim God's greatness through Jesus Christ. 
Philippians 2, 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here, David professed God's ownership. He wanted these people to understand that. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Of your own we've given you. Anything we've given in, in Vision 2447 or, or offerings or to missionaries or whatever, we're simply giving God what is his. We're giving back to him what already belongs to him. So we dare not take credit for what has been accomplished. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. So we must recognize that the Lord is the one who has made all of this possible. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house is for your holy name, is from your hand, is all your own. This is a foundational principle of stewardship. We are not owners. We are stewards. We simply are allowed to hold in trust what belongs to God while we are alive. All of our possessions, all of our properties, our life itself come from the Lord and belong to him. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. The idea that we own anything is an illusion. It's an illusion. We don't own anything. Well, you say, well, well, I've got the deeds to prove it. And well, in this life, but you don't really, really own it. So we should use what God has allowed us to use for his purposes. David would tell us to quit thinking like an owner. Begin to think like a steward. In Job 1.21, in the English Standard Version, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. 1 Timothy 6.7, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain that we can carry nothing out. One of my early jobs was at the Altoona Hospital, and I worked in housekeeping. One of my responsibilities was to clean the morgue. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, people come into this world naked, and they go out the same way. And they're not taking anything with them. Now, the good news is you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You can transfer our treasure from my own personal earthly treasure, and I can transfer it into the heavenly treasure. And again, that's not giving to get. That's just solid biblical truth found in God's word, found from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. God rewards his people for their work. Verse 17, I know also, my God, that you test the heart. You have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart. What was on the heart of David at the end of his life? That his son Solomon and that his people 
would fix their heart on the Lord. And their giving was just an indication of the fact that they had fixed their heart on the Lord. And your giving is an indication of that. And as we fix our heart on the Lord, we have the joy of giving, cheerfully giving, as God leads us. And it's not the amount. Not everybody can give the same amount. But I'll tell you what, every penny that has been given has been recorded by the Lord, and he keeps meticulous records. There's nothing wrong with serving the Lord and and giving with the thought of reward. Some people say, well, that's too unspiritual. No, no, that's in the Bible. And so to know that God will reward us, which is kind of amazing because he's the one who gives us the ability to gain wealth. Everything we have is his. We're just giving it back to him. And yet he's so gracious, he's going to reward us for what we've given back to him because that is our amazing Savior Just one more reminder, this isn't about brick and mortar, it's about the souls of people. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's work through Christ's church is not completed until Christ calls us home. The work's not done. We're just pausing along the way as we did when we dedicated the expansion, when we dedicated Project Solomon. We're just pausing like our ancestors did in this church who we stand on their shoulders to bring us to this point. As if the Lord tarries, there'll be further generations that will be blessed by your faithfulness. That's a wonderful thought to think about. So we stop here for a moment and we're very careful to give all the praise and all the honor and all the glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, to God our